0: A gathering of Thanksgiving. Well, I think that everybody loves a good holiday or a good festival. Now, I know that there are people like Ebenezer Scrooge out there that just can't have a good time, but overall, I think everybody likes festivals and holidays, and not just here in Connecticut or even in the United States, but there are amazing festivals and amazing holidays that are spread all throughout the world. Now, here is a slide of some of the festivals and holidays that I've been able to celebrate in different parts of the world. Well, the the one in your top right corner there is Chinese New Year. And Chinese New Year has all the same elements of our holidays. They're a lot of fun, you get to eat a lot of yummy food, and you hang out with your friends and your family. And at the end of Chinese New Year, they have this great big fireworks show. This is in Hong Kong, where I lived for a while. They have this great big massive fireworks show that everybody wants to see. And this other picture in the top left corner, well, this comes from Spain. And there's this special fair in the southern region of Spain where everybody eats yummy food, they hang out with their families and friends, and they go dancing. They dance like nobody you've ever seen. They could dance all night. Now, these bottom two pictures, these are probably my favorite. In the bottom right, oh, excuse me, the bottom left, let me see, bottom right corner for you guys, that is from Thailand. Now, in Thailand, they have this holiday called Songkran Festival. And it is so hot during Songkran Festival that the way they celebrate is they have a huge, massive water fight. Whenever you walk down the streets, you have to be careful because you might get hit with a super soaker. Or even worse, you might get hit with a garden hose or possibly get a bucket of water poured over your head. It's a great time, and everybody has fun. And similarly, in the next picture, people are having a great big party to celebrate spring, whenever all the leaves begin to bud and all the colors come about, and they celebrate by throwing big hands of powdered, of colored powder dye. Now, all these festivals are great. And the reason that I bring up festivals is because Psalm 118 is actually linked to several different festivals. You see, in the Old Testament, there were three main holidays, and at two of those main holidays, Psalm 118 was always read. The first holiday was Passover. Passover was a time of getting together with your family and having a great big meal, very similar to our Thanksgiving. But they didn't have a big turkey. They actually had a great big lamb. And this was a chance to think about the lamb that helped them uh, escape from Egypt. The other big festival in which they would read Psalm 118 was the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, This one was probably the most similar to our Thanksgiving because it was about the time that we celebrate Thanksgiving. It was the end of the harvest uh, season where they would all come together and give thanks to God, but they lived in these tents or these booths for a week to remember their time in the wilderness. Now, before we go any further into Psalm 118, I have to introduce you to a friend of mine. Dramatic pause. All right, here is my friend, Cleo. RBC, can you guys say good morning to my friend, Cleo? Good morning, Cleo. Oh, you've got to be louder than that. Cleo can't hear that well. Louder, please. Good morning, Cleo. Oh, excellent. Thank you very much. Cleo feels very warmed and welcomed. Well, Cleo is a new Christian, and he actually tried to read Psalm 118, but he was confused. In fact, he tried to read the whole Old Testament, but he couldn't understand it. It was too confusing, and he has a lot of questions about this passage. In fact, he has five questions about Psalm 118 that he's going to ask us. So church, do you think we can help Cleo get the answers to his questions? Yeah. All right, that's what I like to hear. All right. So the first question that we see from Cleo, he says, what is Psalm 118 all about? Well, this is a great question that we should ask about any passage of Scripture. And to answer Cleo's question, we're not going to just start in Psalm 118. No, we're going to get a good running start, like we're going to jump into the deep end of the swimming pool. All right, so we've got to back up, and then we're going to run in. So to do this, we need to actually look at all the Psalms that are read together for Passover and for the Feast of Booths. And they actually start in Psalm 111. So I know in your Bibles you have, or in your pews, you have a couple different Bibles. So go ahead and take those Bibles out and look at Psalm 111. If you don't see a Bible there, maybe you can look one uh, on your phone. That's okay. Uh, It's around page 500, I think. I just checked. I don't remember the exact page number. 500, 502, somewhere in there. All right, so every year at Passover, they would read Psalm 111 to 118. And every year at the Feast of Booths, they would read Psalm 111 to 118. Now, what do all of these psalms have in common? All right, so are, is everybody there? Seems like most of you guys are there. Okay, so look at the first three words of Psalm 111, and everybody read them together. All right, good. Okay, now look at Psalm 1. 12 what are the first three words of psalm 112 all right good okay now look at psalm 113 what are the first three words of psalm 113 nice now also stay in one, psalm 113 look at the last three words of psalm 113 praise the lord. excellent all right now spoiler alert psalm 114 it doesn't say praise the lord but it does talk about being delivered from Egypt. All right, so if you can hold that in your head, Psalm 111, praise the Lord. Psalm 112, praise the Lord. Psalm 113, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And then Psalm 114. Okay, let's continue. Jump to Psalm 115. I want you to look at the end. Look at the last three words of Psalm 115. What do they say? Praise the Lord. Excellent, all right. Psalm 116, look at the end, the last three words. What do they say? All right great and then finally 117 the shortest chapter in the bible if you want to memorize an entire passage of scripture psalm 117 is the way to go all right so what are the first three words of psalm 117 and the last three words of psalm 117 praise good so and then we finally get to psalm 118 where you do not see the words praise the lord but it follows the same structure all of these psalms are talking about praising the Lord. So with each psalm, it's like you take a step up a ladder until you finally reach the top. And what is the top? Well, that is Psalm 118, the crown jewel of all of these festive psalms. So now we've helped Cleo. He understands that this psalm is about praising God. Let's take a look and see what Psalm 118 has to say. Now, Psalm 118 is actually interesting. It kind of makes a sandwich, right? So with a sandwich, you have your two pieces of bread, and right in the middle you have your meat or your peanut butter, whatever it is. So the first and the last verses of this psalm are identical. And they're actually a command. It's telling us to do something. What does the first verse say? Let's read it together. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, let's also read the last verse, the second piece of bread in our sandwich. Three, two, 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So this psalm is all about giving thanks. But this is actually no ordinary sandwich. No, right in the middle, it's telling you to give thanks again. There's a third piece of bread, so this is kind of like the Big Mac of the Psalms, telling you to give thanks at the beginning, in the middle, and in the end. Well, I think this has helped Cleo answer, oh dear, what's happened to my PowerPoint? Oh no, well, okay, maybe you guys can help me out. Do you think you can help me answer this question for Cleo? All right, it says, what is Psalm 118 about? But we only have the first letters of each word. Can anybody help me out with the G? What do you think the G means? Give. give. Bingo. And what about the T? Thanks. Thanks. Very good. And so give thanks and what's the last one? Praise. Praise. Oh, whew. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for helping me out. So if Cleo asks you, what is Psalm 118 about, you can say it's about giving thanks and praising. All right, so Cleo, we have answered one of his questions, and now we are down to four questions for Cleo. He says, okay, so it's all about giving thanks, but who should give thanks? Well, if we keep reading Psalm 118, we come to verse 2 and we come to verse 4. Now, I want you guys to read with me. I'm going to read the words in white. You can read the words in yellow. Let Israel say... Let the house of Aaron say, love forever. And let those who fear the Lord say, love endures forever. Now, what's actually going on here is like a roll call. Maybe on the first day of school in a new year, you go into the classroom and your teacher begins calling everybody's name. They say, Tony, are you here? And Tony would raise his hand and say, Here. Michelle, are you here? And Michelle would raise her hand and say, Present. Well, what's actually taking place here is there is a roll call, but it can't just be by an individual because there's so many people. No, he's calling together an entire nation. He says, let the nation of Israel say, but instead of saying present or I'm here, no, they are giving a shout of thanksgiving. They say his steadfast love endures forever. And instead of calling all the religious leaders by names, no, he just says the house of Aaron or the house of priests come together. But this isn't limited to just Israel or those who are priests. No, it's for everybody who fears and worships the Lord. This is a gathering of thanksgiving with everybody together. Now, these verses kind of gave me an idea since we have everybody together. So you guys are on the left-hand side of the room. So whenever I say a category that you're in, I want you to respond by saying, His steadfast love endures forever. Okay? So let those who are on the left side of the church say... And let those on the right-hand side of the church say... Love and let everybody in RBC say... Your steadfast love forever. Oh, wow. Very good. Nicely done. But I want to try to uh, throw some more categories out there to see if you're thinking this morning. Okay? All right. Let all of the men and all of the boys say... Your steadfast love forever. And let all of the women and all of the girls say... And let everyone say, His steadfast love endures forever. Oh, excellent. Okay, I got a couple more. Uh, let everybody with black or brown hair say, His steadfast love endures All right, let everybody with blonde, red, or gray hair say, His steadfast love endures forever. And the most important, everybody with no hair, go ahead and say, His steadfast, steadfast love, love endures forever. forever. All right, very good. All right, last one. Let everybody who brushed their teeth this morning say, His steadfast love endures forever. And let all those who did not brush their teeth this morning say, His oh. steadfast love endures Oh, dear. So now you know the real reason why there's a mask policy going around. Not everybody brushes their teeth. Well, thank you all for participating uh, in our time of praise, our roll call of praise, if you will. So now it's time to answer Cleo's second question. Who should get... My PowerPoint messed up again. There's letters missing. I think they're all jumbled up anyway. Can anybody help me out? Who should give thanks to God? Who should give thanks? Yeah, just say it out if you think you know. All people. Very good. All people. Now, this map is discriminating against Antarctica, so I feel very... Bad if there's anybody here from Antarctica, but even people from Antarctica are included in this time to give thanks to the Lord. All right, so Cleo is down to three remaining questions. He says, Why should all people give thanks? Now, we've already seen a few reasons. We've seen uh, in our sandwich, in the bread, we've seen that we should give thanks because God is good. Now, that might seem just like something simple that we read and pass by, the idea that God is good. But that's actually one of my favorite things about God. And actually, I I have a confession to make. Uh, Before I preach any sermon, I have a pump-up song that I listen to throughout the weekend to get me ready for preaching. The same way that I listen to a pump-up song to go to the gym, I have a pump-up song for church. And that song, in the chorus, it just repeats over and over again that God is good. God is good. God is good. That's one of my favorite things to think about. And we've also seen that God's steadfast love endures forever, is why these people are giving thanks. That's like his family love, the way that he's faithful to his covenant people, to his family. He will never leave them or forsake them. But those are a little bit too simple. Cleo wants to go deeper. He says, yeah, I see that, but what does the meat of this sandwich have to say about giving thanks? Well, we've seen that there's this great big roll call, right? We've seen everybody come together, the entire nation and the whole world is invited to give thanks. But then the psalm changes. It moves away from this great big group of people to a single person. The language changes from the collective to I, to me and to my. And this mysterious figure arises in verse five. And he says, I was in great trouble i was in distress i was in the worst time of my life he says that it was so bad he was in this terrible war and he was completely alone he says that in this terrible war it was just like being in lord of the rings whenever we were at the black gate and all the orcs surrounded us but he didn't have anybody by his side he was there alone and the nations had surrounded him Four times, from verses 10 to 12, he says, the nations surrounded me. They surrounded me and they were not happy. They were like angry wasps and hornets buzzing around me, wanting to sting me. In fact, they were so angry, they were like a raging fire ready to consume me. But that's not all. In verse 13, he says that he was pushed so hard that he was almost falling off the edge of a cliff. This person had almost lost all hope. He was in the bottom of distress and despair. And in the moment of that distress and that despair, that is when he calls out to the Lord. He prays to the Lord, and the Lord answers him. The Lord gives him strength and power so that he can fight the enemy. So three times in those same verses, this mysterious warrior repeats in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Well, this great majestic warrior that we still don't really know who he is, somehow he was able to fight back and defeat the entire enemy because he had prayed and received the Lord's help. So if we think about the question that Cleo asked us, why should we give thanks? Oh, it looks like my PowerPoint is just done. I'm sorry, guys. So Why should we give thanks to the Lord? I I told you three things. Uh, Can anybody help me out? What's what's the first one? What's the first reason, reason we should give thanks? Who said it? Say it louder. Good. Yeah, very good. God is good. That's the first reason we should give him thanks. What is the second reason? Yeah, if you know, just shout it out. Very good. His steadfast, faithful family love will never change. But what about the third one? This one's a little bit more tricky. Say it again. Oh, grace, save, I I think somebody said it, I couldn't really really hear, but it is save, bingo, very good. He saves us. He's the one that gives us the power, he's the one who gives us the strength, and he is the one who saves us. So we should give thanks to God because he is good, because his steadfast love endures forever, and because he saves us. All right, so we are down to two more questions for Cleo. Well, Cleo says, where should we give thanks? All right, so in this story, you see this one mysterious warrior going, and he's the one who conquers the enemy, right? He's the one who gets the victory. It kind of reminds me of the story of David. Do you remember whenever David goes out and he fights the giant Goliath? He's out there completely by himself, and he throws the rock through his sling and kills Goliath. Now, he was the only person who got the victory, right? He was the only one that was fighting, but after David gets the victory, all of the army and everybody in Israel begins to praise and rejoice with him. And that's what we see happening in Psalm 118. This one person is the one who got the military victory, but everybody begins to praise and rejoice together. So where should we give thanks? Well, we see in, uh, in verse 15 and 16 that they are rejoicing in the tents. So imagine that they've gone out, they've experienced this great military victory, they all go back to camp, they're all celebrating, some are playing the guitars, they're eating food, maybe some of them are dancing, and this mysterious warrior has now become the worship leader. And everybody is singing, the right hand of the Lord does mighty things. The Lord's right hand does valiant things. Now, I hope that there's nobody in here who's offended who is left-handed. It's not talking about God's left or right hand. Uh, If it makes you feel any better, God does not have arms and hands. He is a spirit. But this is just signifying God's power. Uh, Most people are right-handed. It's about 90% of people are right-handed. So if you were in a battle, most likely the sword is going to be in your right hand. So this is showing that God's right hand, or or his ability to fight the enemy, is strong. That he does mighty things. And actually, in some cultures, the right hand is still seen as like this holy object. So if you want to eat food, you can only use your right hand. And your left hand is seen as the unholy hand. So you can only imagine what types of tasks are assigned to the left hand. So whenever you go to certain cultures, you have to be careful to only eat and shake hands with your right hand. But here we see that the Lord's right hand does mighty things. And they are rejoicing in their tents, or they're rejoicing in their homes together. But guess what? They do not stay in their homes. They do not stay in these tents. No, they get up and they start this massive parade, which was actually a pretty common thing, for the victorious army to have. I I couldn't find a picture on the internet of of, uh, the victorious army going back to uh, Jerusalem, but this is the Roman army. After they had (coughs) a military victory, everybody would line up behind the general, and there would be this great procession into the city where everybody was rejoicing and everybody was singing. Well, in Psalm 118, we see this great general leading people into the city of Jerusalem through the gates, but they don't go to the emperor's palace or to the king's palace. No, they actually find their way to the temple. And it's at the temple they go to to offer a sacrifice, uh, This sacrifice of thanksgiving. So if we were to answer the question from Cleo, where should we give thanks? Well, we have two answers here. Oh, looks like my PowerPoint is working okay. Uh, we should give thanks at the Omhe and the... Uh, Ruchak. Hmm. Uh, there might still be a problem with my PowerPoint. Uh, can anybody help me out? Where, where should you give thanks? What are the, just shout it out if you know. Where's the first one? Oh, very good. You should give thanks at your home and at your church, but you can actually give thanks anywhere. But these two places are kind of the center of worship and giving thanks. Your home with your family and the church or the temple with your church family. All right, so we have one more question to look at for our friend Cleo. He says, all right, guys, this is my last question. Who's the guy? All right, I've seen this mysterious guy. He's all red. He's got a question mark on his face, and he's done some pretty incredible things. Uh, He single-handedly defeated all of these nations in battle. He was about to fall off the edge of a cliff, but he was able to fight his way back. And what's so shocking to me is he was able to go into the city and say, open the gates for me. Like, that's a pretty bold thing to say, right? Open these gates for me. And then on top of that, he was able to go to the temple and say, all right, open these gates for me. So Cleo wants to know, who is this mysterious person in Psalm 118? Well, Psalm 118 does not tell you exactly who this mysterious person is. But it gives us some clues that we can look at. So I'm going to see if you can help me figure out who this person in red is. Well, several centuries after Psalm 118 was written, at the week of Passover in Jerusalem, there was this mysterious figure who appeared again. He was riding on a donkey through the gates into Jerusalem on his way to the gates of the temple. Well, everybody began singing Psalm 118 a few days early. They began singing verse 12. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Let everybody praise the Lord. Well, the people who saw this thought this must be a very mysterious and a very special man because it comes from Psalm 118. Well, a few days after this procession to the temple, this mysterious person was not to be found at the temple. He was actually found outside of the city. We see this mysterious person was hung on a cross next to thieves and murderers and insurrectionists. But there's a clue that we see from verse 22. It says that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now anytime you have a building project, maybe you're building a tree house or a birdhouse or a real house, you're going to have some materials that you don't use, that you take and you throw away into the rubbish bin, whether it's wood or shingles or tiles or carpet for the floor. Well, in this psalm, it's telling us that this mysterious person was like a stone or a rock or a piece of wood that was not wanted by the builders. They were building this great structure, and they saw this one particular rock, and they threw it away. It was rejected. Well, we see this mysterious person being rejected in, uh, in this picture. But fortunately, that stone was not rejected forever. You see, that stone was actually taken and was chosen to be a precious stone, the most precious stone to start a new structure, to start a new life. And we see that continuing through Psalm 118. You see, the psalmist says, I will not die, but I will live. So there was this idea that that stone that was thrown out, that that was not the end. There was another purpose for that stone to do something even greater. All right, so boys and girls, we've gone through this psalm. We've seen these clues. Does anybody have any idea who this person in red is? If you know it, just shout it out. Oh, you guys are smart and 100% correct. This mysterious person we see in Psalm 118 is pointing us to Jesus Christ. Psalm 118 is quoted in the New Testament more than any other psalm. It's in all the Gospels. It's in many of the letters in Paul and even in Peter. And here we see that Jesus Christ, he is the blessed one, the one who came in the name of the Lord the one where all the people would shout out and rejoice whenever they saw him. In fact, if they didn't shout out, Jesus said the very stones were going to shout out and praise him whenever he entered Jerusalem. But not only is he the blessed one who comes in the name of the Lord, he's also the stone, the one that was rejected. He's the warrior that was surrounded by all the enemies on every side, buzzing like wasps and hornets ready to sting him. He was the one that was on the edge of a cliff trying to keep his balance, but this warrior actually fell. He fell down deep, deep, deep into the pit of death. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I imagine there was this great cosmic war in that pit of death because Jesus Christ was life in and of himself, and he had died. This was a battle between life and death. Between death and life, who was going to win? Well, of course, we know that Jesus Christ was the stone that was rejected, but he was also the choice stone, the precious cornerstone that death could not hold. And he emerged victorious to have new life. He is the victor. He's the one who is able to swing the sword and cut off all the enemies. He's the one that defeated the ultimate enemy. He's the one that defeated death. He's the one that defeated sin, and he's the one who defeated the evil one we call the devil. Jesus Christ is the great victor. He's the one who has brought life to all of us, and he's the one that was so bold to say, open the gates of righteousness that I may come in. But these gates of righteousness, this was not simply the gates into Jerusalem or into any other city on earth, and it wasn't even the gates into the temple or into any other church on earth. No, these were the gates into heaven and through these gates, we have waiting for something very special. It's an eternal festival, an eternal holiday. All of us celebrate holidays here on Earth. We have a great big meal at Thanksgiving, but we always run out of food. We get to watch great firework shows, but there's always a grand finale and then just smoke. We have other festivals where we celebrate with water and dancing and colorful powder bombs. But all of those run out. Our legs get tired of dancing, and we run out of water in our guns. But that's not the way the eternal festival of heaven works. You see, the eternal festival of heaven, they have fireworks. But there's never an end to this firework show. Each firework only gets more beautiful and more bright and your legs never get tired of dancing, you have so much energy that you dance everywhere. There's no point of walking in the new festival. You can dance everywhere you go, and you never run out of fun. And the best part is, at this eternal feast, you're going to have, or the the eternal holiday, you're going to have an eternal feast. A feast that never runs out. And that's because Jesus Christ himself is our eternal feast. He is the bread of heaven He is the Lamb of God. When we feed upon him, we find life. He is the one that is calling us to enter into these gates of righteousness, not by our own works, but because of his works. We are following in his procession through the gates of righteousness into heaven. And he's calling. He's gathering all people to himself for the ultimate gathering of thanksgiving. Let's pray together, church. Father, we thank you for all of the good things that you have given us. You've blessed us in so many ways. Uh, Thank you for all the holidays that we can enjoy, the yummy food, the time with friends, the time with family. Uh, But Lord, most importantly, we thank you for the eternal festival, the eternal holiday that we are looking forward to with you in paradise. Uh, We pray now that you would bless everybody uh, as they go their own separate ways as we enter this season of Advent when we wait to enjoy that festival occasion when we wait for the return of your son. And we pray that that day would come quickly, even now, Lord Jesus, come. In his name we pray. Amen.